I invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in your Bible. This is the New Testament book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're finishing our five-week series on the gospel today. You're looking for 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Finishing our series on the gospel today. Next uh, next Sunday, you'll have the privilege of hearing from Pastor Tyler. Tyler Magnuson uh, will be bringing the word um, next Sunday, the 12th. And the following Sunday after that, you'll have the privilege of hearing from Herb Bloomquist. Um, that's the 19th. Herb will be with us, uh, the longtime director of Camp Shamanaw. Herb has uh, deep family roots at Prairie Hill. And... Um, he has stepped away from his duties at Camp Shamanaw now, but he's making himself available uh, for speaking, and so he's going to uh, fill my place on the 19th. And then, Lord willing, on February 26th, so the last Sunday of February, we'll uh, be back in the Gospel of Luke um, with the plan to finish Luke's Gospel by the end of uh, 2023. So we'll see if we make it there and when we make it there, if we actually do finish, Okay. Now, in this series on the gospel, we've been intentional about reminding ourselves that we're after much more than just knowing and sharing the gospel. And typically, that's what would be, what would be accomplished in a church, is we just say, okay, we want to know the gospel, and then we want to share the gospel. And we've been after something bigger than that. We've been after a whole gospel takeover of our lives, Not a compartmentalized gospel where we just think about it sometimes and it's part of our lives, but a whole gospel takeover. And so we have spent weeks talking about ideas like loving the gospel. And we've talked about ideas like living out the gospel. And now finally we make it uh, to this last idea, which is tell the gospel. So we've come all the way to tell. Tell is last. Trust, know, live, love, and tell. Now, this is not going to be a sermon on how to share the gospel with someone. It's not going to be a step-by-step, here's what you do in order to share the gospel with a person. It's important to know how to do that. And there are really good resources out there to learn how to do that if you would like to be trained or, or know more about the options available to you. How do I... How do I share the gospel with someone? And I, I set, you may have seen these on the way in, I set um, many copies of the four spiritual laws um, out in our lobby out here, which is a publication that uh, formerly Campus Crusade, now called Crew. Crew has been using the four spiritual laws to walk people through the gospel message for a long time. And so if you're really interested, and I hope you are, in learning how to effectively share the gospels with someone, pick up at least one copy of it and take it and study it for yourself. Um, better than that, pick up a few copies, and after you really internalize it, then begin to share them with people and walk through it with people that need to hear the gospel. But what we're after today in this message is not a step-by-step, here's how to share a gospel. I want to do something different than that. What I want to do from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is give you, give us, an underlying foundation of confidence in God. 
in his gospel to what I'm after is lighting a bit of a fire underneath of you and underneath of myself, a fire of confidence in this God that we serve in his gospel to go out and take the gospel to people, to move us forward off of apathy and off of fear and off of self-concern and self-centeredness into the realm of being people who boldly and gladly share the good news of Jesus with others. We can learn a lot about the gospel from 1 Corinthians 1. We learn what God is up to in the gospel and what our role is. And so I'm going to just read it all the way through. We're going to have the rare privilege this morning of hearing an entire chapter of the Bible read all the way through, okay? So I want to invite you to just be at rest. We're not going to stand today for the extended reading. I just want you to, to rest and take in the word and really listen to what Paul is writing about the gospel. With the goal of developing this strong confidence in God and what he's doing with the gospel of Jesus, okay? I'm going to read it all the way through, then we're going to summarize Paul's writing under four headings and just spend some time on each one of those headings to get our minds around what's being taught to us here, all right? Let's read the word. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He starts this way. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. Or, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Cephas. Or, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the gospel that Christ has been put to death for sins. We pray now you would grow in us an overwhelming confidence in you and your wisdom uh, for our own sake and for the sake of those that we live among. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The gospel according to 1 Corinthians 1 is a foolish message entrusted to a fallible people by a faithful God to save a fallen world. All of those ideas are present in the text. And what we're going to do is walk through each one and notice what it means for us as we think about telling the gospel to people. The first thing that we notice is that the gospel is a foolish message. That's what we see in verses 18 to 25. That comes through in the text very clearly, doesn't it? In verse 18, we read, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Also, verse 21, through the folly of what we preach. Also, verse 23, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Also, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ, Son of God, that's verse 9, right? Son of God, God in the flesh, has come to the planet, has been crucified for sinners. Verse 23. Jesus Christ, Son of God, has been crucified for sinners. That's the gospel. And the necessary response to be taken by people is to repent and believe. 
There is mercy for those who repent and believe in him, and there is hell and eternal suffering for those who do not. That's the message. That's what Paul calls in verse 18, the word of the cross. And that's what he admits is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolish. It's folly. It's laughable. How could it be? God became flesh. This this person that's walking around that looks like everyone else, Jesus is actually God. And he died for sins and that if I'm going to be saved, I have to believe in him and not only me, but everyone else of every other religion on the planet has to believe in only him. And if they do, their future is wonderful. And if they don't, they have the worst imaginable future waiting for them. How could that be? For the one who believes in this gospel, if, if you believe in the gospel, if you've entrusted your life to it, if you're following Jesus, if you've entrusted yourself to him, there is something to reckon with here. The thing to reckon with in Paul's message here is that there is no such thing as a sophisticated gospel. The gospel does not accommodate itself to the times. It doesn't grow with the times or change with the times. As human knowledge increases and our understanding of the natural world and the spiritual world increases and our understanding of our own selves increases, the gospel doesn't change to suit new tastes and new ways of understanding self and identity and sin. It remains the same. But, you know, understand this. The Bible is up front about calling its own message foolish. Who does that? Not Apple. Not the CDC. Not consulting companies. Not the New York Times. Not Ford, Chevy, BMW. Christian science doesn't call its message foolishness. Mormonism doesn't call its message foolishness. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. No one who wants followers or customers calls their own message foolishness, except the Bible. The Bible is upfront about calling its main message foolishness. It's folly to the very people that it seeks to win. The Bible says that about itself. So if you're sitting there thinking, I don't believe this, I'm never going to believe this, why does anyone believe this message about Jesus? I can't believe all these people here in this room worshiping Jesus, thinking about him, I must believe in him. Yeah, if that's the way you feel, understand, God has said that about his own message. It's not as though we Christians are taking this message to the world that we think is really, really wise and this is great wisdom and that the world has heard it and considered it foolish. God has labeled it that himself first. We're not under any illusions here. 
We don't need to bear the burden of thinking that we need to dress up or freshen up the gospel to make it acceptable to sophisticated people. Sophisticated people are the reason why the foolish gospel exists. That's verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. There's lots of intelligent and really well-educated, thoughtful, discerning people listening right now. And many of you do not believe this gospel. And you may be clinging to the thought that one day you will discover that the Christian message can be reconciled with human wisdom to be acceptable in your circles. And that gospel is not coming. God has, by his own admission, set himself in the message of Christ crucified, and that's the only place to seek God. You must seek him there. You must set down your own picture of what wisdom looks like and seek the wisdom of God, which is given to us in Proverbs 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you have believed the gospel, if you're a Christian, just understand that this message of foolishness is God's plan. It's his plan to rebuke a world that thought it could be wiser than God. And the thing to be ashamed about, Christian, the thing to be ashamed about is not the foolishness of the message that you speak. The thing to be ashamed about is that we actually thought that we could be wiser than God. And because of that, God has rebuked a prideful world. The first thing we see is that the gospel is a foolish message. The second thing that we see is that it's been entrusted to a fallible people. Fallible just means a people prone to mess up and not do the right thing. People prone to sin. That's verses 10 through 17. One reason that people might give for not believing the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, one reason they might, believe, might give for not believing it is, hey, just look at the church. What a disaster. Look at, the, look at all the divisions. Look at the lack of love. Look at the hypocrisy. If, if, if that is where t- believing the gospel takes you, then I do not want to go there. Who would want to be part of that? This church that Paul is writing to, this church in Corinth, this letter is addressed to them. They were one of the earliest churches. This is first century. We see, according to verses 10 and 11, that there was evidence of quarreling and divisions among the Christians there. And this is while there's one church in town. One church. It's not like there's a Methodist church and a Baptist church and a Presbyterian church all fighting about doctrine and separating and having a problem with each other. One church. Many problems. 
This is way prior to the proliferation of denominations. We can go even further back than this church in Corinth to find divisions and quarreling. We can find divisions in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas splitting up. We can find quarreling in Acts 6, quarreling over food distribution. We can find hypocrisy in Acts 5, people lying to the Lord about the offering that they're bringing. And that's when the church is only months old, months old. So the church of Jesus has always, since its inception, been divided and quarreling and hypocritical. It doesn't mean that the message is untrue. It means that the church is full of people. And it means that when God saves a person, he saves them from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, but not from the presence of sin. We still sin. The faithfulness of the messengers is not the way to evaluate the message. The message has been entrusted to a fallible people. God admits that his message is foolishness. We admit that we are fallible. There's no pretense here. Everything's out in the open. That's what we want the person who doesn't believe to know. We admit all this up front. There's something here for the believer to know, too. There's something for the church to know. And I would invite you to look at verse 10. Paul makes an appeal to a quarreling, divided church. He doesn't just admit that, hey, this is the way things are in church. It's always going to be this way. It's no use trying to do anything about it. Church is full of people, sinners. They're going to sin. They're going to divide. They're not going to get along. He makes an appeal, just the opposite. He doesn't give in to the inevitability of problems and divisions. Just the opposite. He makes, in verse 10, he makes the strongest possible appeal for them to get right with each other. Look at his appeal. I appeal to you, brothers. And that, the word there means brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Now, what do we learn there? Arguments and divisions in the church are not inevitable if Jesus Christ means enough to us. If being appealed to by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ means enough, if that name means enough to you, if that name carries enough weight with you, if his name is important to you, if there's any affection for this person, if Lord and Jesus and Christ carry weight with you, if that means anything at all to you, you will lay yourself in the dust before 
your brothers and sisters and get right with them. You will see that there are no divisions in the church on your account. When there are divisions in the church, it doesn't mean that the message of the church is wrong. It doesn't mean that the gospel is untrue. It means that the name of Jesus doesn't carry enough weight with the people of the church. It means that people would rather get their own way than honor the name of Jesus. And I encourage you, Christian, I do more than that. I exhort you. And on the basis of this scripture, I make the strongest possible appeal that you stamp this verse on your life, on your life in a body of believers that Paul appeals to us by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we all agree and that there be no divisions among us. It doesn't mean there won't be disagreements, but it means that when there are disagreements, they don't turn into grudges that become rifts that over time become separations means that there will be quick reconciliation and forgiveness asked for and forgiveness granted. The gospel's been entrusted to fallible people. It's a foolish message. It's entrusted to fallible people by a faithful God. That's the third thing that we notice. This is verses 1 through 9. This is the beginning of his letter. The gospel message of Christ is a foolish message entrusted to a fallible people by a faithful God. This is verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called. If you do not believe the gospel, you will look at all of this that we're talking about and see disaster and foolishness all over the place. You'll see this foolish message. What? Jesus was God. He was crucified for my sins. He rose from the dead. Everyone must believe in him. Really? You'll see a fallible people. And you'll say, what? Why would I ever want to be part of a group like that? A group that eats its own. And a group where power is abused all over the place. What would make a person ever walk into a group like that? Who would want to come into a group like that? Think about walking into this church in Corinth, okay? Think about living back then in Corinth and walking into this group and seeing in a room like this four groups, each in their own corner. Here, the Paul group is over here. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. They're over here. I follow Cephas. That group's over there. They're following Peter. And this group over here thinks that they're all way out of bounds. And they say, you are an embarrassment. I just follow Christ. I'm a Christ person. I don't know what y'all are thinking, but I follow Christ. And you walk into that room, and each group is vying for you to pull you over to their side. And they're all saying bad things about all the other groups. Who wants to go into a group like that? So you combine this foolish message with this fallible people. Where is the upside in all of this? Where is the goodness Well, it's right here in verse 9. Behind it all, there is this faithful God. God is faithful. One of the important things that we learn 
in this chapter is that God deliberately chose this message and this people. We know the message is foolishness to you. We know that we as a people are unattractive and prone to divisions and quarreling. But let me present to you an angle that you may not have considered. When you trust the gospel, you are placing your trust squarely and only on this faithful God. You're not trusting in your own wisdom. You're not trusting in the winsomeness of other people or the attractiveness of a group of people. To trust in the gospel, to believe it, is to trust only this faithful God. There's nothing else to win you. Nothing in the message that seemed wise. Nothing in the people that won you over. Only this faithful God who chose this course of action so that all the weight of integrity and all the glory may rest on him and him alone. Who wants to be sold something? Who wants to have a salesman try to hawk something to them? We preach Christ crucified, unsellable, utter foolishness. And we preach not from attractiveness, but fallibility and culpability. We simply call people to trust in God and his wisdom and his gospel. The gospel is a foolish message. It's entrusted to a fallible people by a faithful God. To save a fallen world. We see that in verse 18 and verses uh, 21 to 24. We learn in this text that God's purpose in having this gospel proclaimed is to save. To save people. This is verse 21. Again, since the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The gospel is the means by which God saves people. Saves them from what? Saves them from the just punishment of their sin. Which is what? Eternal suffering, body and soul, in hell. These are the words of Jesus, Matthew 10. Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And from this word of Christ, we have reason to believe that eternal punishment is experienced in both soul and body 
physical and spiritual. And from this eternal just punishment, people are saved by believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you believe that every person needs to believe in this gospel to be saved from eternal conscious punishment? We're talking about telling the gospel today. Another word we could use for that is evangelism. Evangelism just means gospeling people, spreading the gospel, spreading the good news. You know, the first question to ask when you're thinking about evangelism, the first question to ask is not, do I believe that this other person will believe the gospel? Do I believe that the person I'm about to speak to will believe the gospel? That's a, that's a good question. That's not the first question to ask. The first question to ask is, do I believe this gospel? Do I believe that this person is lost and under the wrath of God and rushing toward hell if they do not hear and believe the gospel? Do I believe that hell is an experience of punishment in both soul and body? Do I believe what Jesus said? See, the first question in sharing the gospel is, do I believe it? And if the answer is no, then Christ has died for nothing. He laid down his life, but his death didn't save us from anything. We didn't need it. He gave his life, but for no lasting purpose. It was not a necessary sacrifice to God. We were good without it. But if the answer is yes, I do believe that through the gospel, God saves from hell, that Christ, the death of Christ has achieved forgiveness and pardon and cleansing for all who believe. If I really do believe that, then our course is obvious. We have to tell people. We have to tell people about their sin and its consequences and what Jesus has done to save. We must tell them, and the results are in God's hands, just as we are. The first question is, do I believe the gospel? Wrestle it out and decide. In the end, each one of us must decide whether we will rely on our own wisdom to achieve a true knowledge of God or whether we will believe what God has spoken. And the message of 1 Corinthians 1 is that the first path, relying on our own wisdom, has been tried. And since we didn't know God this way, but turned to worshiping his creation instead of honoring him, it has pleased him to save people only through 
the foolishness of the gospel that we preach. Christ crucified for sins. So as we go and as we speak to people, as we love the gospel and live it out and tell it, remember that this is God's gospel. It's his choice. The origins are his. The reasons are his. The son is his. The sacrifice is his. The results are his. And the glory is his so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Father, we pray that you would confirm the truth of the word to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that what we believe in does not rest on the wisdom of any man or any woman who would create such a message and such a thing. We understand that you have been pleased to rebuke us because we thought we could be wise. And we have seen where that so-called wisdom has led us, this downward spiral of sin and self-centeredness. And so we have received this beautiful gospel from you that you call us back by your grace through Christ crucified for our sins have paid the entire price yourself so that all the glory rests with you. And so so today we say thank you and pray for a fire to be lit for the glory of Jesus Christ, that our confidence would be squarely on you. You would give us a, a faithful testimony for all the days you've appointed for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.